This should be played at high volume, preferably in a residential area. Live and local from the 1037 The Game Studios in Upper Lafayette. This is Acadiana's number one sports station, 1037 The Game. Streaming live at 1037thegame.com and on the free 1037 The Game mobile app. It's Saturday. Time to take a walk on the wild side. Get your Saturday started with an inside look under the dome with the world famous CD. Do you know who I am? I don't know how to put this, but I'm kind of a big deal. On 103.7, the game. Hey, welcome everybody to Under the Dome with CD on Acadiana's number one sports station, 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com. And we're coming to you hot right now on a beautiful Louisiana Saturday morning. Hopefully you're having a great one so far. I know I sure am because I'm coming to you live, as always, from the beautiful Palatial, opulent, dare I say cromulent, 103.7 The Game Studios. And of course, we appreciate you listening in, be it through the FM dial, be it through the free 103.7 The Game mobile app. Smart speakers, Amazon Alexa, Google Home, Google Chrome, however you do so, we appreciate you listening in on this Saturday. And before I get to what I really want to get into, some news just came out. NFL just dropped a statement, literally just as I was coming on air. Involving one game next that was going to be airing this Sunday right here on 103.7 The Game, thanks to Sports USA's coverage of the NFL. And that is the New England-Kansas City game. That game has been postponed, and it's according to the statement, it'll be rescheduled to either Monday or Tuesday after positive COVID-19 test for both teams. Now that brings the question of what happens if it is on Monday night. Do you have Monday Night Football doubleheader? What hap- like, there's a lot of questions that... I'm going to have, to be quite honest with you, about how all this is going to go down. But, of course, that's not really what I want to dive into because, honestly, it's a great Saturday for a lot of different reasons. One, because, well, hey, we got football this weekend. We got high school football back last night, and that's really a big reason why I'm just so excited to do this show. But, of course, the Twin Peaks hotline is open, 337-706-0111. If you want to give your takeaways involving High school football, after I do a little something that I've been wanting to do for the better part of about six months now. And I'm just so excited to just go ahead and push the button. We start in Lafayette, Louisiana with the Acadiana Wrecking Rams traveling over to LCA making that trip. Down, not too far down the road taking on the Knights of Lafayette Christian Academy and Acadiana High wrecked it. Rec Shop, 21-0 win over the Knights to start off the season undefeated. One hell of a win for them. Notre Dame made the trip up to Como, Louisiana, excuse me, Lafayette, Louisiana, taking on the Como Spartans, and the Pios look pretty damn good in the performance. Dom Thibodeau is a name you'll be hearing quite a bit of all throughout the year. 41-7, the Pios of Acadia Parish get the win. Lafayette High takes on Patterson last night. And they made that trip down the road to Patterson. And the Mighty Lions came away with a big dub, 41-3. Zon Sonia, another great performance from him. Can't wait to see what he brings to the table the rest of the year. 
but it's great to see a 41-3 win to start off the year. New Iberia Westgate, this is a Thursday night matchup and a hell of a Thursday night matchup. 27-25, Nish gets it done. The Yellow Jackets beat the Tigers. Southside takes down Franklin 35-6. The defense special teams were the big storyline in that one. Eunice puts a stomping a mud hole, walking it dry, 74-0 win over Ville Platt. North Vermillion Essential Episcopal going to be playing later today. Then you have the Rain Wolves. The Wolf Pack was out in full force, taking down Welsh 19-6. Carecrow made the trip up to Arkansas South, taking on West Monroe, and they came away with a huge victory, shutting them down 16-0. I'll talk about that game a little bit later. Go Golden Bears. Proud alum right here. Loving what I'm seeing from them. St. Thomas Moore Plaquemine. It was the debut of Walker Howard, and he is walking tall on this Saturday morning. 56-17 win thanks to a huge performance from him. We'll talk about that one a little bit later as well. Turlings Opelousas, a little bit of a struggle early, but Turlings gets it done on the ground. 49-21 win over Opelousas. Then you go to District 6-4A. Bo Shane beats Pine Prairie 50-6, your final one Hell of a game. Open up the season for Bo Shane. St. Martinville, Bro Bridge. St. Martinville gets a 26-14 win. Livonia taking on Port Allen, making that trip over to Port Allen. And they looked pretty darn good in that performance, winning 28-22. Then you had Church Point, Kaplan. It was a defensive performance unlike any other. And the defense came up huge with Church Point getting a 12-0 win open up the year. Iota, Lake Arthur. Iota gets a 35-21 victory. One heck of a performance from Iota opening up the season. East Ascension shuts out Northwest 21-zip. Vermilion Catholic, which was the Vermilion Parish Game of the Week, over on our sister station, 106.3 Radio Lafayette. VC, they get it done in a pretty convincing fashion, 40-21. Cecilia Crowley, the Civil War. Cecilia Gets it done, 54-13. to One heck of a game, you know. Definitely pound the over on that contest. Erath, Morgan City, Erath wins 54-6. to A couple other matchups to look through. Opelousas Catholic, which you heard on News Talk 98.5, one of our other sister stations. Opelousas Catholic gets a 52-0 victory over Port Berry. A lot of passing, a lot of great plays from Opelousas Catholic to open up the 2020 season. Then we have Delcom, Centerville. Delcom gets a 25-6 win. Ascension Christian beats Homa Christian 35-18. De La Salle takes down Catholic High New Iberia. No longer Brent Indes coaching that program. Definitely going to be interesting to see how they go going forward. 38-10. De La Salle, always a contender in the Division II state playoffs, takes down the Panthers. Southside, once again, beats Franklin 35-6. Lorville, Central Catholic 41-28. White Castle beats West St. Mary West St. Mary 41-6. Then we have a kind of a surprise, I'd say. Covenant Christian losing to Kenner Discovery Health Science 34-20. And also, yet Lorville. Beat Central Catholic 41-28. And that's all the high school scores 
involvement Acadian area programs. Obviously, a lot of Lake Charles programs have had to opt out of the 2020 season, and they are in our thoughts and prayers in the middle of all the stuff they were having to deal with in the aftermath of Hurricane Laura, because I was seeing stuff like, especially from Barb High School was one of the big ones that I kept kind of seeing on social media. Without a doubt, I feel for them and a lot of other people across this great state of ours who got dealt a really bad hand with what happened with the Hurricane Laura that definitely hit kind of Calcasieu Parish, a lot of different areas, extremely hard. But I want to get to some high school football, just some big takeaways I had from some of the local teams that we definitely like to talk about here on Acadiana Sports Station. And the first one, I think, obviously, that stands out is Acadiana High. It was the rematch of a really good week one contest from 2019. And by the way, this is probably one of the best games of the year last year. It was a low-scoring contest, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. I, I, I'm probably wrong on this. Just don't quote me on this. I think it was probably a 7 nothing win for the Knights of LCA, and these two teams love to they can put up points in bunches. And this is absolutely going to be a huge statement for Acadiana High. And they look poised. right? Excuse me, no, Acadiana won because he went undefeated. What am I talking about? Acadiana looks poised to repeat as state champs with a strong defensive effort against LCA. The Knights struggled or were held down, too. I'm not going to mince words there, but LCA got manhandled by a great defensive performance from Acadiana. And the record Rams 21-0 win. Very well done. But I mentioned Walker Howard earlier. I was fortunate enough to actually produce that game over here on Acadiana Sports Station. STM Cougar football is back, and I have to say it is full-blown, like full gear back at it, and it's a beautiful thing. And I have to say, Walker Howard is absolutely for real. You had to have either seen it or heard it. The guy was putting up numbers unlike any other. He was just absolutely feasting on opponents, and it was so well done. Walker Howard's for real, multiple touchdowns, and also Walker Howard has some, excuse me, Jack Besh had some absolute jets. A couple plays in the first quarter just stood out to me. I know on their second drive after you had Plaquemine score their first touchdown to tie it up at 7-7. One offensive play is all it took. Walker Howard finds Jack Besh, and Jack Besh pretty much goes all out. He could have probably done the gritty like I'm a Justin Jefferson did for the Vikings last weekend. But I think you can call Walker Howard and Jack Besh. I think going forward, I'm just going to call them Regs and Murtaugh because they are an absolute lethal weapon on offense. Meanwhile, Carrico looking legit to open up the season, shutting out West Monroe on the road and beating them for only the second time in program history. It is a massive win for historical context. Con- context. There we go. First time Rebels were shut out in the regular season since 2005. Yes, regular season shutout since 2005. They were shut out, I believe, in the playoffs back in 2013. And then it's only the first time, the second time they won since Lucas Taylor beat the Rebels back in 2003. Shout out, Lucas Taylor. Absolutely love that. That's how crazy it's been. The first time they won against West Monroe was when I was a freshman. That was. A long, long time ago, almost 20 years ago. Crazy thing about it. 
Southside has some work to do, but defense and special teams shined in the opener. 35 points in the first half. All from the other two phases in the game, special teams and defense getting it done. I think Josh Fontenot knows there's going to be a lot of work to do involving this team. But, of course, there's a lot of other stuff that I need to get into. Notre Dame of Acadia Paris, the Pios get it done. Strong performance against Como. Dom Thibodeau is going to be a name you'll be hearing a lot about when you have that water cooler talk or maybe even that barstool talk. I don't know what the kind of current state is in terms of going ahead and sit back, relax, and actually talk about stuff at a bar stool or a bar. I don't know how that goes in 2020, but, you know, when you can, top of the Pios, Dom Thibodeau is a name you'll probably hear once or twice. Turlings has some kinks to work out, but they should be okay. You know, they had two turnovers on their first two drives. They spotted Opelousas a 7 nothing lead early, but they did roll forward and got the win. It's another example of why it's not how you start, it's how you finish. And I think what we also learned for the most part is defenses might be ahead of schedule of the offenses. We talk about all the time with how the MLB was to start the season, where the offenses were a little bit behind schedule on pitching and everything else. You know, that wound up kind of working out a little bit differently down the road. But to start, it felt like, at least for the majority of teams, the pitching and defense was ahead of schedule that over the offense. Now, obviously, in some of these games, like, for instance, STM, when you've got Walker Howard, it's a different conversation. And then you've got, obviously, other programs like Notre Dame, Acadiana, LCA. I wouldn't be surprised if they put up, like, gobs of points after this week. Because they have strong offensive teams. They have strong offensive weapons. And we all know those teams can put up, like, godlike numbers in the 40 to 50 range if they really wanted to but not too many like big blowout like 50 burger wins outside of obviously stm beating plaquemine 56 17 Eunice beating Ville platt 74 nothing Beauchene pine prairie was a real outlier there 50 to 6 and also uh, turlings came close to cracking the 50 burger range but stuck at 49 outside of that though relatively Pretty easy going. 54-13 win for Cecilia over Crowley was only the real, like, but again, I just feel like in some cases, the defense was ahead of schedule compared to the offense, but hopefully that could change because honestly, who doesn't love a good old, like, 35-31 type game versus, you know, a 12 nothing game like we saw if I'm not mistaken, I believe that was a Bro Bridge game. I can't remember who it was off the top. I don't have to listen from me. But it's still going to be a lot of fun to see how this whole thing goes the rest of the way. But, of course, you're not here for all the high school talk because, honestly, we got a lot of other things to talk about, and we'll get to a bunch of this. Chris Gordy going to be joining the program, talk a little Houston Astros baseball fresh off of a AL wildcard series win over the Minnesota Twinkies. We'll talk about their series against the Oakland A's coming up and a whole lot more. And then Ross Jackson at 12.30 Locked on Saints podcast. Canal Street Chronicles back at his regular 12.30 slot. And we'll be back after this on Acadiana's number one sports station, 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com. Going to talk about what's going on across the state of Louisiana. Maybe we'll get to some SEC talk, probably more about LSU Vandy. We'll talk about all that next Maybe a little back of cracklings as well, right here on Acadia in a sports station, 1037 The Game and 1037TheGame.com. It's under the dome with CD. Keep it locked. 
From the preps to the pros and everywhere in between. I give it a, uh, a 10. A 10. Let's get back under the dome with the world famous CD on Acadiana's Sports Station. 1037, the game. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD on Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com. Coming to you live from the 103.7 The Game studios. Appreciate you listening in however you're doing so. Be it through the free mobile app, the FM dial, the Tower of Power. Too sweet to be sour. Hopefully you're enjoying what we got for you. And I recommend if you're on 103.7thegame.com already, you might want to check out all the stuff we got up for grabs for you right now, including... The Tiger Ticket Giveaway. Yes, we're giving away tickets for you to go see LSU when they take on the Mizzou Tigers. This time, next Saturday, you can enter in to win a pair of tickets. All you got to do is sign up for the Rewards Club, or excuse me, the 103.7 The Game Clubhouse at 103.7thegame.com. It's free to enter and free to join. If you're not part of it already, what in the world are you waiting for? Seriously, so much great stuff we got up for grabs for you. Don't worry, you won't be spammed or emailed a whole bunch of stuff every day. Just sign up, enter in the rewards club today at 1037thegame.com for a chance to see LSU take on Mizzou in Death Valley next Saturday night. That's going to be a late one, so make sure you brew up a pot of coffee. Maybe a little, maybe put a little Irish in that coffee, if you will, on a Saturday night. That way you can enjoy LSU in all of its splendor. Obviously, you can't have booze inside Tiger Stadium, but maybe get a, get a little pregame going before you head over. Make sure, obviously, you got a designated driver. But, of course, we need to look at what's going on around the state of Louisiana. I think we're going to start with La Tech, BYU. The Bulldogs were like your favorite band from the Pretty Woman soundtrack. They went west. They go west to Provo, Utah. Take on BYU last night and exited Mormon country with a big black eye. Losing 45-14, to La Tech drops the 2-1 and of the year. BYU, the 22nd-ranked Cougars, 3-0 and on the year. And now the LaTeX Bulldogs are going to be moving on. Going to go ahead and take on UTEP next Saturday at ten at six thirty on October tenth, twenty twenty. 10-10-2020. Gotta love when you have kind of dates that work like that. That's always interesting to me to see how those how dates just sync up in a certain way. But that's a different conversation for a different day. Meanwhile, the Cajuns have shuffled up their dance card. As always in the world of pro wrestling, the card is subject to change. And in 2020, I think we can all agree the card is always going to be subject to change when it comes right down to it. And this week has been a prime example of that. Because the Cajuns game against App State that was scheduled for next Wednesday was postponed. It'll be either December 4th or 5th. Now that makes you wonder, what was going to happen with those games? Uh, where Because that game is going to be moved that far back. That's potentially a three-week layoff you're going to be dealing with if you're the Cajuns. Nobody wants to take three weeks off from doing what they do in a sense of playing at 100% full speed. It's damn near impossible to be back in that rhythm. It's going to mess up your rhythm. Yes, you'll have a lot of players that will be back due to injury, COVID, what have you. This is going to be absolutely huge for the Cajuns to have a little bit of extra time off, but they won't have much of an extra time off. Why am I saying that? Because they moved their game yesterday with Cajuns Coastal Carolina that's been moved up to next Saturday. So instead of being on the 17th, it's going to be on 
10, 10, 20, 20. And you're going to have Cajuns Coastal Carolina be a 11 a.m. kickoff. So, yeah, I've got to deal with that again. Every game this year has been 11 a.m. I think at this point the Cajuns are more than willing to kind of say, hey, we'll wake up early, we'll play this game, and we'll move the heck on. And they just want to play no matter what. It's a lot like Coach O said, playing a playing a cow pasture at like 11 o'clock at night, he don't care. He will play whatever it takes to get them on the field. So I'm looking forward to seeing how the Cajuns look against the Chanticleers, who look to be a really good Sunbelt program. Yes, they got, Coastal got the win over Kansas again this year. They're actually be taking on the, I believe they might be playing each other right now. They're playing, all, they're playing the Arkansas State Red Wolves. They're currently playing six minutes left in the first quarter. Arkansas State has the football at their own 25, and you've got, it's a 0-0 ball game right now. But Coastal Carolina looks really good at this point in time. Now, mind you, who have they played? Kansas and Campbell. Kansas, they beat two years in a row. I think Kansas wants to try and like not schedule them ever again and needs to kind of learn that. But I think you can see that Coastal Carolina's offense is really on point this season, and that's a huge step in the right direction for a program that may not necessarily had a whole lot of things going for it heading into the season. You had a 38-23 win over Kansas. Then you had a 43-21 win over Campbell a few weeks ago. Then obviously COVID canceled a bunch of games, and now Coastal's back at it. They've had plenty of time to kind of get ready and get warmed up for this contest. Now it's all about what's going to happen next with this Cajuns game. And now you've moved homecoming back to the Cajuns-Arkansas State game in November. So that's going to be a homecoming game. And odds are that'll probably be nationally televised as well. Honestly, just put all the Cajuns games nationally televised for the rest of the year, please. Because I think, honestly, that's the that's been the best thing. The best takeaway from all this is the fact that the Cajuns have had so much opportunity to play a 11 a.m. Sk- 11 a.m. games and be on national television. That's great for the brand. And then look at how last week went. You had the Cajuns win with a game, with a late field goal from Nate Snyder that nobody saw coming. It was literally the biggest like shock to see him get that done. But so congrats, Cajuns three and zero. They be moving on playing Coastal Carolina next Saturday, 11 a.m. kickoff, and that'll be on the Deuce. So they're back on the Deuce, which I think is always just a great thing to be a part of. Now let's look at one other team for the Sun Belt Conference that they that's from the state of Louisiana, and that is UL Monroe taking on Georgia Southern today, and the Eagles are whopping 19.5-point favorites in this contest. I was looking at the line. I was blown away by the fact that Georgia Southern is 19.5-point favorites, according to Bavada, usually the place I like to look at to get betting lines. Some lines have it as 18.5. The opening line for this was 15.5-point favorites. UL Monroe has been pop on. It's to be like a seven, six o'clock kickoff our time, seven o'clock according to the Eastern Eastern Time stuff. That's a whole different conversation for a whole different day. But I'm interested to see how Louisiana Monroe is going to look because the, the Warhawks have just been kind of the lol cow of the Sun Belt for a good bit. And finally, we got LSU Vanderbilt going to be playing later today, and Derek Singley Jr. will play. Dare Rosenthal still a game time decision as of right now. We'll probably find out more. By the way, you'll hear LSU Vanderbilt, along with all of the games that will be going on in 2020. They are going to be playing on 103.7. The game pregame is going to be at 430. 
Kickoff is going to be at 6.30. And LSU currently 21-point favorites. Again, this is according to Bavada. I was surprised to see 21-point favorites. They were opened up as 18.5, but that spread has jumped up significantly, possibly because of the fact you have Derek Singley Jr. now in the lineup. I think they win this one. I hope they win this one. Because if you start off 0-2 and you lose to a new head coach in Mike Leach and you allow 623 yards through the air from K.J. Costello, and by the way, I was making jokes about K.J. Costello on the air before the game, and I think maybe he was listening to it. Maybe that was bulletin board material, the Elvis Costello, Pelvis Costello references. But hopefully, LSU bounces back, and I think they will. And we'll talk about that, but a whole lot more about what's going on with those LSU Tigers, Houston Astros, and so much more with our next guest, Chris Gordy. Sports Talk 790, host of the Astros post-game show. Can't wait to talk about that and so much more with the guy Chris Gordy. Join the program next. You're listening to Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game and 103.7 The Game.com. He may be considered world famous, but he still goes out and eats a shrimp po' boy just like the rest of us. Just don't talk to him while he's eating. Lay up there, I'm starving. Now, back to Under the Dome on 1037 The Game, Acadiana's sports station. Correa chokes up just a little bit. Here's the pitch. He drives this one pretty well. Right center field, looking up is Kepler. Still looking up, and it's gone! Straight away center for Correa. The Astros lead it 2-1. to one. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD right here on Acadia Sports Station. That's how we ball. Hopefully you're enjoying what we got going on. And now we got on the Twin Peaks hotline, we've got Chris Gordy's coming on. Talk a little bit about what's going on with those Houston Astros. He's part of Sports Talk 790 in Houston. Also hosts the Locked On SEC podcast. Maybe get a little SEC talk in there as well. Chris, what's going on, man? Hey, what's going on, man? Good uh, good sports weekend. A lot going on. And, God, it feels good to have all this happening after those months of uh, the drought that we had. Exactly. It's like basically, you know, back in the day when you used to basically deal with a hose and you, and you kinked it to where you'd let, you made sure the water stopped and you let it go, all of a sudden just – the water's just flowing everywhere. That's basically what we got going on right now. After having the, the spigot shut off for months, you turn that knob and it's just flowing, full-blown. But I want to start with what's going on with the with the MLB postseason. What's weirder in your mind? The fact you've got two California teams playing in Globe Life Park or the Astros playing in Dodger Stadium against the A's? It's all weird. It's it's silly. I, I I get the idea, the thinking of let's create a bubble and all this, but like, there's no reason why these games couldn't have been played in Oakland or Houston, for that matter. Like, it's the same concept. You keep them in the hotel, and you go straight from the hotel to the ballpark, and then you go back to the hotel. Like, I, it, I don't. You, you can't convince me that there's going to be more stringent, uh, tighter safety protocol at Dodger Stadium and Petco Park or in Arlington, or at Minute Maid Park. None of it makes any sense uh, in my mind, but I get what they're thinking, but it's just it's silly. Like, the fact that the Astros and the A's are going to play a playoff game on Monday in Dodger Stadium filled with cardboard cutout Dodger fans watching them is just 
absolute insanity, but it is what it is. This is where we are, and at least we're getting some good playoff series in. Exactly. I think that's kind of where I wanted to go to next because you just think about it. Do we ever think we'd wind up getting to this point back in, like, May or June? Well, not when uh, you had the Marlins break out, you had the Cardinals break out. I mean, it was just like left and right, and people kept saying, oh, shut it down, it's not going to happen. But I think the important thing to remember here, and again, I'm not, I'm no epidemiologist, I'm no doctor, but all these cases that keep coming out, either in college football or in NFL, is very few of the people are even sick. I mean, we're, we're freaking out over just the, the positive cases, and we understand the thing can spread, but... It can also not spread. I mean, we've seen cases where I always go back to the Utah Jazz when Rudy Gobert was one of the early, earliest people to get coronavirus. And, oh, my God, he played a game the night before, and he was breathing on everybody, and he was sweating and bleeding and all this kind of stuff. And then the only other person in the entire locker room that had was Donovan Mitchell. Uh, this week we're seeing a lot of the guys with the Titans uh, coming out. We've got a handful of guys. But at the end of the day, they, I think it's still a total of 10 players out of you know, whatever it is, 70, 80 guys. So it's, it still just becomes like, I, I get the safety protocols. And number one issue is we don't want the virus to spread, but there are still ways to go about our business and still play the games. But that said, at least we're going to, we're going to have some baseball games played starting on Monday. And, uh, man, it's some, some really good series, I think, set up. We'll get to the Astros in a minute, but you brought up the Miami Marlins. Isn't that also just the weirdest thing ever? Like the fact that the Marlins, a team that was kind of said, hey, you know, they were, they were the first ones to really have a massive outbreak of COVID 19. Obviously, the Cardinals followed suit, but you got to think that this is a weird world where we're living in, where the Marlins are in the postseason in the, in the NLDS playing the Atlanta Braves. Yeah. I mean, both those teams, like, I don't know if it's, if it's normal times. Yeah. You know, have we played a 162 game season? The Marlins don't make the playoffs, I don't think. I, at least I don't think. And then the Braves, who never have any postseason success, ironically, they get past the, the wild card round with, uh, you know, winning games where they barely scored any runs uh, and, the, and the Reds scored zero runs. So, uh, I don't, again, if, if normal times with loud, rocking, sold out ballparks and that sort of thing, I think is a little bit different. But yeah, the fact that, oh, one of the Marlins or the Braves is going to the NLCS this year, um, you know, because one of them's going to have to win this series is is absolute insanity. And I, I keep joking, you know, I know the Heat are down two nothing now, but I keep saying, wouldn't it be great if the Miami Heat won the NBA Finals and the Miami Marlins win the World Series? We'll just look back at 2020 with an ultimate asterisk and say none of that counts. <laughs> Talking right now with Chris Gordy, part of Sports Talk 790, also the Locked On SEC podcast. And, you know, Chris, looking at the Astros, I think obviously heading into the series against the Minnesota Twins, we know how much the Astros have struggled on the road at home wherever. But to see what they did, especially with the pitching staff looking absolutely outstanding, were you surprised by that, seeing this team kind of really turn it on once the like the wild card series began? Because that last week of the season, they struggled mightily. Yeah, I wasn't surprised. I mean, we went into the season or went into the playoffs saying, on paper, this is a really dangerous team. It's just what we had seen all season from, just inconsistency. At times, we saw glimpses of the Astros teams of the past, but uh, for the most part, they would, you know, look at all the batting averages are down and, you know, they, they didn't hit for power very much this year. Not a lot of home runs, not a lot of pop in the bat. And, you know, all that was very discouraging. But I, 
No, I made my prediction on our, our uh, podcast that we do uh, a couple times a week talking about the Astros, and I said I, I think they're going to win the series just because I think they will start to click. And, you know, there was also the caveat of the Twins had lost, you know, whatever it was, 16 playoff games in a row. And so I just said I feel like karma's going to get the the Twins a little bit from that aspect. And luckily the Astros got some dominant pitching, and then on the flip side they were able to get enough offense to scratch across some runs. And now going against the A's, it's a team that both teams know each other very well. The A's got the best of the Astros in the regular season. They won 7 out of 10, but – a lot of those games were games where the Astros blew it late or lost an extra inning. A lot four to two and three to two type losses. So you know that that doesn't really tell the whole story. And so if the Astros bats want to suddenly get hot on top of how well their pitching is right now, I think the A's could be in trouble. Yeah, I think obviously this is going to be the the big series. But you know, I was thinking about it Thursday. Who would you rather have played, like the White Sox or the Oakland A's? Like, who would you have rather the Astros face in the ALDS? Well, the White Sox were the most they, – they had been the most inconsistent as of late. That lineup, though, is still super dangerous. I was really scared of going against them. And of all the starting pitchers, like if you just collectively have put the Astros with the A's and with the White Sox, and you say you can have one pitcher out of all of them who you're going with, I would have said Lucas Giolito. I thought he was the best pitcher on, on all three teams. So the fact you don't have to face him – I think is uh, is nice for the Astros now. Bassett for the for the A's, he's been really good as of late. But um, yeah, it, it, when we were talking about it, I said, you know what? Give me the A's. At least you've seen them a lot. These teams know each other really well, and you get to go play them on the neutral field. Not that playing them in Oakland would have made much of a difference with not many fans there. But at least you take the you take the A's out of their sense of normalcy of playing at home in their ballpark that they're used to. You put both these teams on the neutral field. And I feel like it's anybody can win any of these games on any given night. So we're now with Chris Gordy, part of Sports Talk 790 pre- and post-game show host for the Astros. And I think, obviously, the other question I need to ask is, what about Mike Fires? Like, why has he just consistently just seemed like he's ducking the Astros? And now you got a five-game series, five games in five days. When do you see him being part of that lineup? Could he be a game three or a game four, depending on how the series goes? Well, they answer your question. They absolutely ducked him. They, they, they intentionally kept him out of, put, put it this way. At one point, the Astros played, I believe it was five games in three days out in yeah. Oakland. And, and somehow Mike Fires didn't pitch in any of them. And, <laughs> and he had been, you know, kind of their number three, number four guy most of the year. So yeah, the fact that, that he avoided them, they absolutely did not want him to face the Astros. And it'll be interesting to see how this playoff series sets up because. Look, we're used to talking about the AL, the ALDS. It, it entails playing at both home ballparks, so there's travel, so there's days off. In this, they're going to play five games in five days if it goes five games. So, you know, it's, you play Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, if we go, go all the way to a game five. So at some point, you would think Fires has to pitch. Now, I think they may play it smart and say, we'll use him in a bullpen role in a way that, you know, he can come in with a big lead and then that way it's not a tough situation because if they end up having to start him, say, in a game three or a game four, I think the Astros will be licking their lips. You don't think Alex Bregman and Carlos Correa and George Springer want a little retribution on him? Look, at the end of the day, did they cheat? Yes. But at the end of the day, he's the guy who ratted them out. He's the guy that turned his back on you know the locker room code, quote-unquote, and they want to stick it to him. So I'm really interested to see if he does get a start in the series 
I can't see him going past two innings without getting lit up by the Astros. And by the way, he did pitch game three for the A's and got didn't get lit up but was not good, and he was pulled at the second inning. So uh, I think there's a lot more better options the A's could go with over Mike Fires pitching-wise. Honestly, I just hope that it's a game – it's a crucial game for the A's. Basically, it'd be a game three if the Astros up 2 nothing, or obviously game four, game five. And you have to put Mike Fires out there. And you just whip his hide, stomp a mud hole, walk it dry type of performance from the Astros to advance the ALCS in Dodger Stadium just to give like a double middle finger. One for one for the A's and one for Los Angeles. Well, look, I'm sure there's some people out there who aren't Astros fans, and I'm sure there's people rooting against them for that because they cheated. But the reality of the situation is the cheating scandal was three years ago. I know we just found out about it in January. But what they've done is, is it's water under the bridge. It's done with. It's gone. The best thing you can do is turn the page and move forward. And that's what the Astros are trying to do. Yet everywhere they go, even the national broadcasters on ESPN the other day are still going, oh, you know, this team cheated and they're a bunch of cheaters. Sports Center this morning was saying, oh, yeah, the Twins lost to those icky Astros who still haven't shown any remorse. Look, I was in the, I was in the clubhouse back in February, and I listened to every one of those players show remorse say they were sorry, apologize, and said, look, all we can do is move on. We know our legacies are tarnished because of cheating and all this. The fact that, that nobody can turn the page on it is absolutely ridiculous because this is a country where we, we let people apologize for their mistakes and show remorse and try to move on, and we, we accept forgiveness. And for some reason with the Astros, the Red Sox were cheating. <laughs> Several other teams were cheating. The Yankees cheated at one point, yet the Astros were the big bad bullies the bad guys that get pinned with this and so no i'm with you and, and carlos correa said so much after the series that look we proved we are a good team we don't need the trash cans to win games we're obviously more talented than that we went to the world series last year without cheating so i think it's time some people start to move on with the astros hate so if if you're the astros look either you're going to accept it and become the play the villain role or you just ignore it exactly that's kind of where i'm at and obviously, you know, I want to talk a little SEC with you right now, more so about the LSU Tigers, that absolutely, like, disgusting loss to Mississippi State where you put allowed 623 yards. Just that number sounds absolutely almost vomit-inducing, especially people probably who just heard that number again. What do you think about LSU after that loss to Mississippi State and what it looks like going forward? Because you look at that SEC, it looks a lot more interesting with teams like Ole Miss where their offense looked good against Florida, who, by the way, Florida looks outstanding right now. Yeah, and Florida's up 14-7 on South Carolina right now. The um, I'll tell you this, I'm, I'm just glad we're not playing a plus one against somebody because I, yeah. I could just see in my mind that you know LSU plays a plus one with the Rage of Cajuns this year. They'd, they'd have lost that game the way that, that ULL is playing. So, so look, the, the reality of the situation is LSU's defense was not good last week. I think there were a couple issues, really. Obviously, we know Derek Stingley was out. The front seven was not bad. After going back and rewatching it, they got a great push. Allie Gay was really good. But the secondary got exposed. I mean, Jay Ward, we found out after the fact, just had a minor procedure in his knee two weeks ago and was out there playing. He shouldn't have been out there. They had a transfer kid from Nichols who literally just got there, was still learning the playbook. He was out there. So, there were just so many factors that just went wrong. And then other guys just didn't tackle well. They didn't play well. So I think it was a good wake-up call. If everybody's ready to put LSU in the coffin and bury them, 
I'd say not so fast on that because at the end of the day, as poorly as they played, Miles Brennan still threw for, what was it, 350 yards. They yeah. still moved the ball despite O-line playing terrible, despite receivers dropping passes, despite no run game. And then, like I said, defensively giving up all those pass yards. They're not going to see a passing attack like that again this year that Mike Leach threw at it. It was just almost kind of like the perfect storm in that you didn't have Stingley, and so they didn't have to account for basically any of the quarterbacks out there. Mike Leach just said, let's run our air raid attack and do what we need to do. So uh, the reality is LSU's not going to give up that many passing yards in a game again for a really long time. But I think the flip side of it, I think that game spoke more to what Mike Leach is going to do in the SEC West. And for all the Auburn fans and Alabama fans and A&M fans pointing fingers at LSU last week and laughing, hey, better get ready because Mike Leach is taking no prisoners. He's got a crap load of talent at Mississippi State. And they're going to win seven, maybe even eight games this year and surprise some people. Chris, thank you so much for coming on, my man. We'll talk to you down the road, and I'm looking forward to this ALDS. The fact that we have football and all kinds of sports back is such a welcome return. Yeah, if I could just tell people, go to LockedOnSEC.com, subscribe to our podcast. We just started right before the season. We get uh, expert guests on every week, kind of preparing for the full slate of SEC games. and. Man, it's another great weekend of all SEC matchups. No cupcakes all season long. It's great stuff. And uh, I'll be sitting here right on my couch the rest of the day if you need me. That sounds like a great plan, my man. I'll definitely follow suit at my house, obviously. Well, well, social distance, I'll say. <laughs> Thanks, man. I appreciate it. All right, that was Chris Gordy. You can follow him on Twitter, at Chris Gordy. Check out the Locked On SEC podcast. We'll have the Locked On Saints podcast host at 1230 talking a little bit about the New Orleans Saints and some of their struggles early on in the season. We'll take a quick timeout, come back, wrap up hour number one in style. You listen to Under the Dome with CD on Acadiana Sports Station, 1037 The Game and 1037thegame.com. Maybe I'll have a little more Mike Fire slander to an hour. Under the Dome with CD is a show for all the degenerates out there. You make your rules, and we will break them. Let's get back to the famous CD, who will break it all down for us. Welcome back to Under the Dome with the famous CD right here on the KDNA Sports Station, 1037 The Game, 1037thegame.com. Wrapping up our number one in style. By the way, the Astros will be right here on 1037 The Game throughout the postseason. The first game of the series is going to be at 307 first pitch. And it's weird to kind of get those kind of notifications late at night because I think I got that. Let's see here. Man, I get so many dang emails. At 9 o'clock at night, I got the notification that the Astros game is going to be 3.07, 2.30 pregame. And, of course, we'll we'll keep you informed about what's going on with that game, whether or not it'll be on Acadia in a sports station or bumped over somewhere else. Obviously, with Monday Night Football, it's going to be weird. Weird and woolly, to say the very least, when it comes down to it. But I was talking at the top of the hour about the Chiefs-Patriots game getting postponed. It'll be rescheduled either Monday or Tuesday after Positive COVID-19 test on both teams. I believe the other one was Jordan Tamu. Cam Newton was the one for the Chiefs. By the way, I didn't even realize Jordan Tamu, he's on the practice squad, former Ole Miss quarterback. Big ups to him for being part of that. They're shifting the game around. This will be the Indianapolis Colts-Chicago Bears game. Two really good teams early on in the season, mind you. I think the Bears are a bit of a sham. 
and you know they they got lucky a lot. Then you've got the Bears Colts game would be moved to from noon to four twenty five. Again, the Bears are a sham in my mind. They got lucky because they played the Atlanta Falcons, who love to choke. But before I wrap up the hour, I just got to say this. I mentioned with Chris Gordy in our last segment about the fact that I want nothing, and I mean nothing more, to see Mike Fires be the starting pitcher in a crucial game, like a game four or a game five, and get his ass handed to him. I absolutely cannot stand that guy. And it's one of the things where, you know, he was the one that snitched. He's the one that started this whole thing. He's the one that made everybody start talking about it. He was part of that team and then pretty much said, oh, hey, hey, listen, they've been cheating. They've been cheating. You know, he left the team because he sucked after that one. He had one really good start and then absolutely sucked beyond that. So, honestly, he can go to hell. Like, you're going to get your ass handed to you whenever you do have to pitch against the Astros. I hope you get pulled after like the second or third inning, and it's an absolute beatdown. Stomp a mud hole, walk it dry, take your licks, even though you can't really because you're in the AL, not the NL, where you know there's no DH and the pitcher's got to take an AB. I wish there was just one game where he'd take an AB and just beat him. That's it, that's all. Just give me that kind of stuff. Because the vitriol I have for your boy, your boy Mike Fires, is pretty much white hot like a fire hour one in the books hour two coming up next the saturday sports sermon coming up to start off hour number two sweet be back after this on 1037 game 1037game.com this should be played at high volume preferably in a residential area Live and local from the 1037 The Game Studios in Upper Lafayette. This is Acadiana's number one sports station, 1037 The Game. Streaming live at 1037thegame.com and on the free 1037 The Game mobile app. It's Saturday. It's Time to take a walk on the wild side. Get your Saturday started with an inside look under the dome with the world famous CD. Do you know who I am? I don't know how to put this, but I'm kind of a big deal. On 1037, the game. And good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to Under the Dome with CD on Acadiana Sports Station 1037, the game. And 1037thegame.com. Hopefully, you have a great Saturday afternoon and we'll kickstart your weekend right. We got LSU football later today. Of course, we got college football right now. Let me give you an idea of what's going on in the world of college football. With a lot of these 11 a.m. games underway, some of them in the second quarter. I know TCU, Texas, I have that on in the background right now. And I'm a, the fighting, I'm a Cody Shoots's. Taking on the fighting Danny Jones. 7-7 tie right now, late in the first quarter. GMFP has the ball right now after Texas scored a touchdown while I was at commercial break that was kind of under review. But the sad part is, like, it's not like usually most weeks I have the laptop on the side of me. I'm usually kind of double screening it. This time I've got it on the big screen behind me because it's on Fox. It's on the big noon Saturday, so I'm kind of having to look at it through the reflection on the mirror behind me and currently they're commercial break. That being said, 
looking at everything that's going on right now in the world of sports, yet South Carolina taking on Florida and Florida up four, tied 14-14, but they are moving. Kyle Trask has been looking about as good as he did last week. And if you saw him up against Ole Miss, he looked strong. 132 yards, 10 of 11 completions on the day. So keep an eye on that. Of course, Kyle Pitts has been his favorite wide receiver. Three receptions, 54 yards, and a touchdown. That just was absolutely beautiful. And it was well done the way the play kind of got drawn up. It was exactly what Dan Mullen wanted. A nice block just as he was going to go ahead and make it into the end zone, made it with relative ease. Now it's 14-all. But Florida is in the red zone. Brought up earlier, TCU, Texas, 7-7. You have Tennessee, and they are rolling right now. Currently up 14-3 to over M-I-Z-Z-O-U, who plays LSU next week. And by the way, you can enter to win tickets to see LSU-Mizzou right now in the clubhouse at 1037thegame.com. It's free to enter and free to join. Be sure to get in on the action over there. Then you get NC State putting Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh up against the ropes right now. Alan Michaels probably not too happy seeing Pitt down 17-7 early in that contest. Then you've got East Carolina, Georgia State squaring off in a Sunbelt con- uh, Sun contest. I should say it's a non-conference matchup. Georgia State up 28-7 to right now. East Carolina needs to get their bleep together. But right now, they're on the Georgia State 38, second and 10. Meanwhile, Arkansas State, Coastal Carolina, a slow start. But right now, Coastal Carolina has the ball, and they are nearing the red zone but currently tied 14-14. Then you got West Virginia and Baylor. The fighting Pat McAfee's taking on Dave Miranda and the Baylor Bears. And West Virginia, the couch-burning country, taking on Baylor. They're up 7-0 right now. UAB, a form, a future Cage's opponent, will be t- taking on UTSA 7-3 right now. They're up late in the first quarter. This game just got started. Liberty, 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 0-0 against North Alabama, North Alabama takes the opening kickoff, and they're making their way down the road. But that's all we got in terms of things going on across the world of college football right here, right now. Obviously, you got LSU later today, 18.5-point favorites, against, excuse me, 21-point favorites against Vanderbilt. You've got a couple other highlight highlighted matchups. Auburn, Georgia, a big game, probably the biggest game of the week. Georgia currently seven-point favorites. You got Mississippi State, a whopping 17-point favorite against Arkansas. This should be a little bit higher if you're looking at some of the SEC matchups right now. A lot of other ones. Just to kind of keep tabs on, I think those are two or three of the big ones that you're going to want to see. Virginia Clemson is going to be a one-sided contest. Let's be your late game at 7, which is weird to say. That 7 o'clock game is going to be your late game, but, you know, it is what it is. Texas A&M, Alabama. 18.5-point favorites are the Crimson Tide. I mentioned it a while back. This is going to be the Nick Saban Revenge Tour, so make sure to keep an eye on that one. But that one's going to probably be a boat race pretty damn early. But now I get to do something I usually do in the 11 o'clock hour, but with high school football taking over, that's how we open up the show each and every week. But now we're going to get to what's causing all this on Louisiana Saturday afternoon and get to the Saturday Sports Sermon. 
The famous CD is on his soapbox to start your Saturday. It's time for your Saturday Sports Sermon. Let them play. Let them play. And I think without a doubt, the big question that I had heading into all this day is the fact that you had, just before I got on air, the news, Cam Newton tested positive for COVID-19. And then no more than 20 minutes later, the NFL postpones the game. You also had Jordan Tamu, a practice squad quarterback, test positive. Now, of course, there could be more positive tests coming down the pipeline. Hopefully not. But it's crazy to think that we're immediately already burying the NFL. We're already putting dirt on the NFL season because of the fact that this game is being canceled, is being postponed, saying cancel the season, cancel the season. We're out hearing that kind of stuff with the NCAA, which has had several games get postponed, pushed back, what have you. And you're not hearing thanks for coming out NCAA. You're hearing this more from a certain fan base that wants to probably say that the season should have never happened. I think it should have happened because if it didn't happen, we wouldn't have had anything to talk about for another three, four months. It needed to happen, and I'm loving the fact that we're seeing football back and they're making changes to the lineup to make sure that they can do whatever, and I mean whatever, it takes to make sure a season does indeed happen. This is the first week. It took four weeks, and we finally managed to get to a point where games were being postponed, moved around, and shuffled about. And Tennessee was the one of the other ones. Tennessee's matchup against the Pittsburgh Steelers got pushed back, and that's, we I believe, going to be moved to Week 7. Maybe shuffling around some people. But it's absolutely ridiculous that we're sitting here, and like they're basically bumping this game because of the fact that one star Patriots player test positive and they immediately postponed that game. It's ridiculous to me. Now, of course, if there's a lot of other players that do test positive, then that brings up a whole other question. But it makes you wonder what's going on there. You know, what happened to the next man up mentality? Look at the Cajuns last week, a prime example of what I'm talking about. They had eight players missing from this game, eight starters missing from this game, including Elijah Mitchell, a star player for this program. He was MIA. Now, I don't know what that exactly was for. I'm not going to say what it was because it's rumor and innuendo, and obviously HIPAA laws make it to where I don't know who or what or why he was MIA from the contest. Because, of course, that's not my place to ask those kind of questions because we can't answer that question. But we can surmise it was due to COVID, but we can't say outright is due to COVID. But why can't we have them play to start? Yeah, you heard me right. To start the 2020 season. How can we not say, you know, just because one player, one player was MIA, it's just ridiculous. We're sitting here in 2020, and I don't know why we're seeing the NFL decide, in the case of the Titans-Vikings game, makes sense. There's, there's levels to these things, obviously. And if you have 
six, seven, eight players all test positive for COVID. All this stuff. Why in the world, why in the world are we still sitting here in 2020 wondering what's causing all this? And we're sitting here saying, hey, like, what's going on? Why are we here complaining about the fact that we have the league saying that all these players tested positive for COVID-19, shut it down. They're, they're, they're going to be playing next week. Take a week off. Figure out a game plan. Do a bunch of testing. Close down the facility. But one Patriots player tests positive, and they, they pushed the game back a couple days. There's a lot of questions that I have about the who, the where, the what, and the why. And I think the biggest thing is what is going on with Roger Goodell in that office. Is I guarantee you if any other team had just one player test positive, is the thing they had one player test positive for Ah oh man, it's gonna it's gonna make me like see because I can't remember who it was last week the first player who tested positive for COVID-19 heading into a regular season contest, they just left that guy in isolation. Let's go ahead and, and have him in ISO and move on. But one player in Cam Newton tells you to go ahead and say, hey, move on. Let's let's go ahead and, and punt this game. I'm surprised the league just doesn't shut it down because it's a, the Patriots, the Patriot way. We need to shut it down. We need to follow follow them. No, they're not going to shut it down. They're going to move it around, make sure they can have this game played. Because it is going to be... Uh, it's going to be a mess, and hopefully things can get better for the NFL. Because I think we we would love to have the sport of professional football still going on. And hopefully it can be a lot better better than any, some of the games we've seen today. For instance, TCU Texas has been a slog of a ball game. They're not even into the I believe the early second quarter. And it's 12-15. Most games are nearing halftime right now. Like you could just take a nap and the game might be over. And actually Joel Clad just tweeted out, "We're on the struggle bus right now." I have to wholeheartedly agree with that. It's a mound of you know what? Just like a mound of you know what? that the NFL just served us about what's going on with those New England football Patriots and their postponement of that game because of one marquee star player. Come on. Get it together. All right, this is Under the Dome with CD right here on Acadiana Sports Station 103.7. The game going to go ahead and take a quick timeout. And when we come back, I'll give you a little idea of what's going on across the NFL. Even my picks for the week in the league where they play for pay. And we're going to talk about that next right here on Acadiana Sports Station 1037 The Game and 1037thegame.com. From the octagon oh! to the 20 by 20 squared circle oh! and everywhere in between. famous CD isn't afraid of tackling any topic. Just don't expect him to get into the ring with anyone he offends. Finish him. Just bring it. Let's get back to Under the Dome. Dome. 
Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD on Acadiana Sports Station, 1037 The Game and 1037thegame.com. It's been a wild Saturday afternoon. Definitely a little bit wilder than I expected. Right now, Florida up 17-14, three minutes left until halftime. Meanwhile, TCU putting Texas on the ropes a little bit. 14-7 early in the second quarter. Had a targeting call early that may have been a little bit dubious. Wasn't able to see the full angle because, again, I'm looking through a reflection of a pane of glass that's not that's kind of obscured by lights. It's kind of hard to see exactly all what's going on, but definitely not 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 good for people like Danny Jones who absolutely love the Texas Longhorns. Not exactly hooking them right about now, and they should be against some uh, GMFP. I'll just go ahead and say that much. But now it's time to look at the NFL and the slate of games that are still on schedule to be going on with something that I like to do each and every Saturday now that football's back and just look at the league. And the league where they play. For pay. You love to hear the music, buddy. You love to hear the music. We start off with a game that's been bumped to 425, 325 our time, with the Indianapolis Colts and the Chicago Bears. Yeah, Chicago Indy squaring off. Indy currently three and a half point favorites in the contest. The Bears three and zero, but three and zero by the hair of their chinny chin chin. After what happened against the Atlanta Falcons last week, I got to go with the Indianapolis Colts getting the win here. Philip Rivers has been looking good, and I think the Chicago Bears are an absolute sham. Yes, you heard me right; they are an absolute sham. And it's just going to be a one-sided contest. I think we'll start to see the Bears struggle. And the Bears will lose will in their undefeated streak. Then you got Cleveland at, taking on Dallas. Dallas currently four-and-a-half point favorites. Cleveland over five hundred for the first time in a long time. I think Dallas gets the win here, but it's going to be a very close contest. I think that Cleveland has a chance to backdoor cover this four-and-a-half-point spread. Wouldn't be surprised closer to game time. Maybe it does go up. But I still think, yes, man, Dallas has had its very – it's been a very challenging year to be a Dallas Cowboys fan, to say the very least, especially if you follow Scooter Magruder over on the Twitter. Then you've got Minnesota taking on the Houston Texans. It's a battle of ineptitude. Not just for the fact you've got, obviously, the Minnesota Vikings. The only good highlight is Justin Jefferson who, by the way, balled out last week. Put him in your lineups. I think this is going to be a game where the Minnesota Vikings get the win, Houston loses, and maybe, just maybe, Bill O'Brien finally gets Das Boot. Maybe I'm just the king of wishful thinking there. We go from Houston to Detroit Rock City. The Detroit Lions got their first win with Matt Patricia in 2020. Maybe it's their only win with Matt Patricia in 2020, depending on how this game goes. Saints, three-point favorites. i got to go with the Saints. The heart is telling me to go that way, and my brain is telling me to go that way because if the Saints lose this game, I mentioned it before, they're going 7-9, bottom line, guaranteed. Because they've gone sub-500. They've never made the playoffs with Sean Payton at the helm and Drew Brees at quarterback. Maybe then you can start putting in Jameis Winston because your season's going to be done at that point. 
Then you got Arizona taking on Carolina. The Cardinals currently three and a half point favorites, coming off a just despicable loss last weekend. Just a pawball performance to those Detroit Lions, losing in overtime. Kyler Murray and crew looking to bounce back against the one and two Panthers. I got to go with the Cardinals getting the win here because I think Kyler Murray's starting to really come into his own in his second year with a lot of great offensive weapons to choose from. The Washington football team hosting the Baltimore Ravens. The Ravens whopping 14-point favorites. Give me Baltimore winning, but I think Washington covers there. Then you got the L.A. Chargers traveling over to Tampa by the Bay to take on Tampa 12. And I got to say, Tampa is going to stomp a mud hole in the L.A. Chargers. I think Justin Herbert's going to be under a lot of pressure in this contest, and I think we see the Chargers lose and lose big against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Seattle taking on Miami. Seattle currently six-point favorites. That should be a lot higher. That, that That's a low spread in my book. Because I think Miami is not a good team. This isn't going to be the Fitzmagic game. The, the Magic's run out. It's one game a year he gets. And it's against the Jacksonville Jaguars or the New Orleans Saints if he's with the Bucks. But with the Miami Dolphins, he's got that one game. And he just had it last week. I think Seattle rolls in this one. I think we see Russ Cook, and I'll I'll say it right now, I think he throws four touchdowns in that game, and he just absolutely eats up the Miami Dolphins' defense. Duval taking on the Cincinnati Bengals. Joe Burrow and crew, two-and-a-half-point favorites, by the way. You'll hear that over on News Talk 98.5, the home of the Bengals radio network. Cincinnati currently two-and-a-half-point favorites. Give me Joe Burrow and the Bengals to get the win. Then we got the New York Giants, L.A. Rams. Thankfully, this is in L.A., not in New York, which, by the way, MetLife should be burned to the ground in effigy because that is an absolute joke of a stadium and a joke of a football field. And currently, Rams 13-and-a-half-point favorites. They're going to molly wop the Giants. 13-and-a-half-point favorites. Give me those Rams winning, and it will definitely cover that spread. Then you've got the Buffalo Bills taking on those Las Vegas Raiders. Three and a half point favorites the Bills are. And they're going to circle those wagons because, just say it with me, folks, no one circles the wagons like the Buffalo Bills. As of right now, New England, Kansas City still on the board. Seven point favorites are Kansas City. If this game does happen, I think Kansas City wins. And obviously that line could be swaying in a big way. If this COVID-19 test is what we expect it to be and maybe more positives do come out, we'll see. Then we got Sunday Night Football. Philly heading over to the city by the bay, San Francisco. The Niners with Nick Bleeping Mullins, seven-point favorites. This is going to be a wild year for the 49ers, but I think they do get the win here because the Philadelphia Eagles are probably one of the worst teams in the league right now. And it's a train wreck of a team. Carson Wentz just isn't the guy. Meanwhile, you know, Chicago's got big bleep Nick in the house. And I'm sure Philly's like, what What have we done? Why did we, why did we get rid of Nick Foles and keep this candy-ass piece of trash? Atlanta Green Bay is going to be your Monday night contest. Green Bay seven-point favorites. 
give me those Green Bay Packers getting the win. Atlanta is going to lose it, and they won't lose it late because it'll be well in control early on in the contest. That's going to be the biggest key there. I think Dan Quinn really proves how inept he is against the Green Bay Packers. I saw George Beck, we were talking about George Becknell on the Jordy Holtberg show yesterday. He said Dan Quinn was getting fired after the game. Dan Quinn's not getting fired after that game. Now, when you look at the rest of the Falcons' schedule, I think you can pinpoint the game that he loses, they're fired. It's in two weeks. October 18th, Falcons-Vikings, if the game happens, Vikings will win. Dan Quinn is fired. Hell, even if they lose to the Lions as well. He's got two games in the next three weeks that he's got to win to save his job. I feel like his job is very, very much in danger. Comes right down to it. But that's what's going on. Week number four of the NFL. Obviously, Titans, Steelers postponed. I believe this is going to be moving over to week number seven. So we'll save that conversation for a little bit later. But now we're going to take a quick timeout. Hurry up. Get Ross Jackson on the horn before we wrap up the program. Talk a little New Orleans Saints heading into a big contest this Sunday against the Detroit Lions, a must-win game. We'll talk about that next with him and more on 103.7 The Game. At 103.7thegame.com, you're listening to Under the Dome with CD, your place for all great talk, trash talk, and everything in between. Most sports talk radio shows go up to 10 on the amp, but Under the Dome with CD goes one higher. Why don't you just make 10 louder and make 10 be the top number and make that a little louder? These go to 11. Now back to the show that brings the heat on Acadiana Sports Station, 1037, the game. It's still so early, right? And I know we're just scratching the surface. I know we can be so much better in so many different areas. And really, overall, it's just our execution, right? How can we continue to execute at the very highest level? You know, what we've been able to do around here for a very long time. Um, and each season's a new season, and you plug in new pieces. And I'm excited about the guys we have. Um, I think we can do a lot of great things. We just have to continue to pull it all together. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD on Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game at 103.7thegame.com. Talking to New Orleans Saints, just heard Drew Brees talk about the fact this team still got a lot of work left to do, and they're still so early on the season. But at the same time, it feels like an absolute kind of you're building towards a really rough 2020 schedule right now, one and two on the year. And if they, they follow this one, this is Probably a must-win game, and to talk about it, we're going to go over to the Twin Peaks Hotline, talk with our guy at Ross Jackson, Locked on Saints podcast, and Canal Street Chronicles. Ross, what is going on, man? Hey, brother. Doing very well, man. Thanks, as always, for having me on. Hope y'all are uh, holding up all right out there. Are we holding up all right, my man? Definitely a little bit of a weird last couple hours, obviously, right before I went (laughs) on air, found out about everything going on with Cam Newton testing positive for COVID-19. And it made, makes me wonder, because I talked about it until up to 12 o'clock hour, is why are we sitting here and it takes just one player for a game to get postponed or moved back to Monday or Tuesday while the Titans had like five or six players and we see 
programs like Georgia Southern to open up the year played without 33 players on their roster. What, what's kind of the reason behind them pushing this game back whenever, hypothetically, it's just one case? Yeah, I think that the, the big thing for the NFL is the way that they shape their protocols is that there's a required amount of days that have to take place between a team having a positive test and them taking the field. And so there has to be enough time for adequate testing between them. So for the Vikings, for instance, whose game didn't need to get postponed, they didn't have the positive test, even though they were in vicinity of someone that did test positive with the Titans. They didn't have a positive test in their own building. So for them, for instance, it was easier because they didn't have that. So there was no contact tracing, no you know testing that needed to be done in terms of making sure that they got everyone who was positive. When it comes to the Patriots, now the Chiefs as well with Jordan Tiamo, and then, of course, the, the Titans, they have been getting new positive tests as we get closer and closer to the game. And so because of that, they don't know who else to take out of the game without being able to appropriately do contract tra- contact tracing. Excuse me. And so the protocol in the NFL is still a, a little bit more strict, and I think that the NFL just has a little bit more flexibility in terms of moving games around because of all the plans that they have in place to be able to do that. Okay, that makes a lot more sense because it's just like, like mind you, all this stuff's kind of just moving at a rapid pace. And I have the fact you got college football right. going on. I'm keeping tabs on all that. It's like you lose track of, you lose sight of a lot of different things. So I was, I wasn't mm-hmm. sure if it was a lot of it had to do with the fact there's more positive tests than just Jordan Tamu, a practice squad guy, versus you know just Cam Newton and Tamu. Yeah. Yeah, because like the issue when you look at it is that Jordan Chalmo ran the practice squad. He ran the scouting team. He was Cam Newton. He played the role of Cam Newton in that in that practice team. And so because of that, that means that he was matching up against the uh, the starting defense. And so the starting defense would play against Jordan Tiamu's led scouting team. And so because of that, because this popped today, the day before the game, we don't know how much if there was any spread at all. We don't know how much of it affects the starting defense, how much of it affects the journey, and then you put the starting defense out there tomorrow up against the starting offense of the other team, and then all of a sudden you've, you've created sort of this spreader event, um, and that's what you want to avoid. And so because these tests pop so closely to game time, there's no time to do the appropriate amount of testing between now and then as well as the contact tracing. So they're starting to they're going to start off first by pushing it back to Tuesday and then see if they get enough negative tests before then, which is always tricky because there's an incubation period with this virus, and that incubation period is anywhere between three, two to two weeks, two days to two weeks, you know. And so it's always going to be a little tricky, but that's kind of what they're hoping for at this moment. Oh, trust me, I know that all too well, Ross, what's going on with all that stuff <laughs> oh, and all yeah. the incubation periods and whatnot. But when it comes, you know, let's just talk about the Saints Lions for a little bit because obviously that's really why I wanted you on. Not, like the COVID stuff definitely was stuff a little bit lanyap for you, as you like to say on your Locked mm-hmm. On Saints podcast. <laughs> but all right, so six Saints are out this week, including you know Marcus Davenport makes sense. Jared Cook is going to be out for the contest. Big surprise, Andres Peter surprise. I think Michael Thomas was the biggest surprise alongside Marshawn Lattimore. Six of probably the most like impact player Saints out this week, this probably makes you very concerned about this contest, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when any any team that's missing six starters immediately is expected to probably not be super competitive in this game. I mean, you look at the and, and especially when two of those six starters is your starting cornerback tandem, 
right, in both Marshawn Lattimore and Janoris Jenkins. I think that probably the least impactful players that you lose in this game, this is going to sound strange, but the least impactful players that you lose for this game in particular are Andrus Pete, are, um, are Andrus Pete, Michael Thomas, and Marcus Davenport. And I only mention Michael Thomas and Marcus Davenport because of the fact that you've played without them for the past three games, right? Uh, or four yeah. games now, I guess. Or, yeah, three games for Davenport. So they're a little custom to not being with those guys. It's the only reason why I put them in there. Andrews Pete, you know that this team can still perform well with utilizing its six offensive linemen and Nick Easton. But the biggest, biggest pain for this team right now is the fact that Marshawn Lattimore and Janoris Jenkins are going to be out for this game going up against wide receivers like Kenny Galladay and Marvin Jones. And that's going to mean matchups for PJ Williams and Patrick Robinson. And I don't know if you remember a few years ago when they tried to put Patrick Robinson on the outside or P.J. Williams on the outside against Calvin Ridley against the Falcons, but that was not a great day uh, for the Saints secondary. <laughs> and uh, so there's a, there's a lot to be concerned about, uh, particularly amongst that cornerback tandem this week. So they're going to really want to do some ball control work over on the offensive side. I think the offensive side doesn't take too much of a huge hit, losing Jerry Cook kind of stinks, but you've got Adam Troutman there who filled the Jerry Cook role really well last week. We'll see, you know, maybe a little bit more Taysom Hill at tight end as opposed to seeing him behind center so much like we've seen over the past few weeks. And I think that that will help over the offensive side. I'm a little bit less concerned about the offense than I, as I am concerned about the defense. But I think that's how I felt coming into this game, regardless of who was healthy. Exactly. Like I, I'm feeling kind of that same way, Ross. It's just the defensive side of the football is just too big not to, like, think about the fact that you've got Marcus Davenport, who you've been without since the beginning of the season, and now you've lost Marshawn Lattimore. Whatever you have a game against somebody like Kenny Galladay, like you, you wind up having Alan right. Lazard, Alan Bleeping Lazard. <laughs> who, by the way, by the way, Ross, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna rant here for a minute, okay, about Alan Lazard yeah, please, please. and this and the Saints Packers game for a minute from a fantasy perspective. So I was playing against a guy who had Drew Brees as a starting quarterback. I had Aaron Jones, who did pretty well. And then I had, also had Marquez Valdez-Scantling because Scantling absolutely feasted the week before in, in week two. And I was like, okay, I'm going to go ahead and just handle this, and he's going to do well. And then all of a sudden, Alan Lazard comes out of nowhere, <laughs> takes all the cookies away from Scantling. I think he got maybe one or two receptions. And also you have Drew Brees throw three touchdowns, costing me fantasy. Oh, man. That's a bad roll of the dice, man. <laughs> exactly. It's the worst feeling ever. It's like, come on. And it was against a, That's the worst, worst part is this is against a winless team. No. Oh, like, no. That's the real punch to the you know what's, man. Oh, dude. I'm so sorry. <laughs> that's rough. That's a rough. That's a rough thing to hit this early in the season, too. <laughs> it's like the worst beat. And I'm like, I'm like, I'm glad, though, that Lazard is inactive now with a core muscle injury. I hate to wish that on anybody, but it's like, man, you know you want to have, like, your boy go off. And, like, come on, like, Scantling's such a deep threat. I was surprised they didn't try and utilize him more. Yeah. Well, that just goes to show you. I mean, you look at, and I'm, I'm, I'm glad, you know, I, I don't think that fantasy is at all an invalid way or invalid way to to analyze games because it, it helps us to have have these conversations about like hey, which of these wide receivers is going to pop during the week, and it just goes to show that Marshawn Lattimore's 2020 start so far has been far less than ideal. While Janoris Jenkins, outside of the penalties, has actually been really good. You look at Marshawn Lattimore, 158.3 perfect passer rating when targeted so far. So in theory, if a quarterback throws to a wide receiver when he's in coverage, that's probably going to be a completed catch. 
However, you look over to the opposite side, to Norris Jenkins, he'll eliminate the penalties from his game, 55.5, if I remember correctly, 55 point something, uh, uh, passer rating when targeted. He has been the more consistent corner over on that other, on that opposite side. So it's funny that, you know, we, we were really excited about finally being able to see the Saints with a viable cornerback two, but so far we haven't seen the Saints with a viable cornerback one at the beginning of the season because outside of his game against Mike Evans, Marshall Lattimore has been struggling considerably this season. And some of it is, you know, lapses in concentration, things like that. Some of it's fundamentals. You know, it, 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 it's kind of frustrating to see that for sure. And so, you know, I, I don't blame you for going to MVS as opposed to Alan Lazard, knowing that MVS is technically going to be drawing the second, you know, corner as opposed to your who you imagine to be your top corner. Um, but, yeah, I just didn't roll the dice that way this week. Literally no one had Alan Lazard in the fantasy lineup. I think like 4% of people in the world mm-hmm. had Alan Lazard in their lineup. I'm like, what the hell is going on? Yeah. And then everybody goes get him. <laughs> I love the fact everybody wouldn't go get him on the waiver wire, and then he gets injured. It's like it's like perfect karma for like a, a one of those like one-hit wonder performances, if you will. But, yep. But looking at tomorrow's matchup against the Detroit Lions, obviously Kenny Galladay is going to be absolutely crucial for this team, but just looking at the Saints in general, how much is this a must-win game for the team? Because you're playing against the Detroit Lions, Matt Patricia, we know him to be kind of an inept head coach, if you will, and you know he's definitely one of the mm-hmm. coaches on the hottest of seats, but you look at the Saints' history, I brought it up earlier, that if you go sub-500 in your first four games, more likely than not, you're not making the playoffs. Yeah, I think that's I think that that's the thing. I mean, a lot of people want to point to last year and point to the Tennessee Titans who went two and four to open up the season and then made the NFC Championship game. But we have to understand that that is very much an exception. They also had a quarterback change in the middle of that. There was a reason why they started off that bad and had nothing to do with who took them to the playoffs. Uh, you know, in, in my reference being you know Marcus uh, Mariota being the issue, and then Ryan Tannehill coming in and sort of riding the ship. You're not going to see that when it comes to the Saints. I mean, Drew Brees is your quarterback. And so when you look at this game, for me, there's a couple of different factors. There is the factor of just the percentage and the likelihood of making the playoffs if you don't go 500 over the first four games, which has been a little bit adjusted because of the extra team in each playoff field. But you still can't expect that to like be your saving grace, right? The other part of it is just sort of the narrative around the Saints that you you want the team to be confident and a good way to build confidence is to win this game without six of your starters. Because then there's just the feeling that the team can only get better. You don't want to go and lose to Matt Patricia's Lions, who have been mostly hapless since he took over. They had a nice game last week, and there was you know a lot of talk about, oh, maybe this defense is getting better. But as you watch the film, the three interceptions that the Detroit Lions defense came across with or came, came out with were just bad decisions by Kyler Murray, and you're not going to see Drew Brees make those same decisions. Especially without, you know, Mike, uh, Mike Thomas on the field, he's going to be as conservative as he feels he needs to be. But the other part of it is that the Saints offense really is going to match up very, very well against this Detroit Lions defense. Likes to play a lot of man coverage, cover one. The Saints do a lot of crossing routes over the middle. Those inherently create separation in, co- in man coverage. So the, the Saints offense should be able to move the ball down the field. The Detroit Lions allowing 172 rushing yards per game, which is just absolutely ridiculous. And so that should be good news for Latavius Murray and Alvin Kamara. There's just too much still, even without those two corners. There's still too much for the Saints offense to take advantage of that they can't at least be in this game. I mean, the biggest thing is going to be, can those other guys perform at corner, P.J. Williams and Patrick Robinson? Can they find a way to perform on the outside, which is what we've seen them struggle to do in New Orleans for years and years and years? 
that's a huge question mark. A lot of that's going to come down to getting pressure off the defensive line. But without Marcus Davenport, you're going to see the same, very likely the same type of production that we've seen so far. So there's a lot of question marks, but this is still very much a game that the Saints want to win and, and in an essence, need to win. It's absolutely a must-win because you, you got to think. I, I was talking about this like last week and all throughout this week with a bunch of people over here at Acadia Sports Station is – if you want to going like sub five hundred in the first four games, you don't make the and you want to being that pegged to seven and nine. You look at it since Sean Payton's been a head coach. When they go below five hundred, they go seven and nine. It's almost amazing how consistent they are with that. But it makes you wonder, like, how much more do you want to start keep relying on the old Drew Brees checkdown? Whenever you've got an absolute monster in Alvin Kamara who wound up having an amazing game against the Packers. Yeah, I mean, I think you're going to see, I imagine, I've said this many times, and I mean, we've all said this many times, right, going in a game saying, that, oh, I think you're going to see a lot more of the Saints run game and only to be disappointed. But I do think that that's true. I think you will see a lot of run game in this one, a lot of control in the clock, a lot of ball control, because they want to keep their, they're going to want to keep their defense off the field. And there's no reason that they shouldn't, right? There's, there's absolutely no reason that they shouldn't want to keep those two corners off the field, this defensive line off the field. Like, I think you're going to see a lot of the run game, Latavius Murray and Alvin Kamara. I think you're going to see a lot of the ball control. You'll see those checkdowns too, just as an extension of the run game, the screen passes, the passes to the flats to get Alvin Kamara out in space as opposed to trying to run him up the middle. I think you'll see all of that in this game because that's sort of where the Saints need to need to be able to operate. I mean, again, the Detroit Lions allowing 172 rushing yards. They're also 30th in the NFL in football outside of DVOA and defending against running backs in both the passing and rushing games. So take advantage of that and utilize that as a means of both ball control, chewing the clock, and that's probably where your production is going to come from anyway. All right, one more for you, but not Saints-related, not NFL-related. We're going to call some controversy. Lanyap or Lanyap? Let's do it. Lanyard. Like it's just some. I, I know it's it's a little bit different for like you're from New Orleans, so it's like it's the great debate because right. over here we say Lanyap, and it's like it's become a big Lanyard. debate mm-hmm. here. I remember that. I remember because you know I grew up in obviously I grew up in New Orleans, and then after Katrina, I moved up to uh, Honoredville. So I was like right outside of Brobridge and around like uh, I was at Cecilia High School, and everybody said Lanyap, and I was like, "Why are y'all so fancy? It's just <laughs> Lanyap. It's too." It's two syllables. Land, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, like, well, all right. So I'm going to bring, bring this up because like I said line up at the beginning of the – like towards early on in the segment. Mm-hmm. And it reminded me because we have – we have. I mean, you you went, you went lived in Orville for a bit, so I'm sure you know about Festival International that we have every year except for this uh-huh. year. Thanks a lot, COVID. So with them uh, – <laughs> they, the, they have these things called Lanya oh, passes, and one of our guys who – does a show in the afternoons. Ben Love, you've been on a show a couple of times. He's from Baton Rouge. He would say mm-hmm. Lanyap. And we were like, dude, it's Lanyap. And it wanted to be causing a big debate with us here at Acadia Sports Station. And it's something that like, I, I just randomly thought about now that I said like Lanyap. I was like, I know you say it at the end of your podcast, a little Lanyap for you. Consider this yeah. a Lanyap, Lanyap conversation. <laughs> yeah, it's a little bit of Lanyap, Lanyap, Lanyap conversation. That's all from, from Lanyap of the show. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Ross, thank you so much. Let for... Ben know I'm, I got his back, though. <laughs> Ross, thank you so much for coming <laughs> on, my man. We'll talk to you next week. Absolutely, brother. Take care. Stay safe. All right, Ross Jackson, Locked on Saints podcast. A little, little lanyap or lanyap conversation, depending on what kind of part of the interstate you're from or whatever. You know, we're going <laughs> to. That was unexpected, but I loved it. Hopefully, you enjoyed it as well. 
Going to wrap up the show. One final take to wrap up the program. It's about those LSU Tigers next. Just before we close up shop here on 1037 The Game, the famous CD is looking to fire off one more take before dropping the mic. Is it going to be a hot one? Or is it going to be one he'd like to take back six months down the road? Let's listen in and find out. I'm going to say it in the absolute certain of terms. And that is, Coach O is not a one-hit wonder. I was seeing some stuff on Twitter earlier this week. Hell, this is going to be my Saturday sports sermon. Until, obviously, the news about Cam Newton kind of popped up out of nowhere. This is what happens sometimes. But I just got to say it. Coach O is not a one-hit wonder. How can you say he is a one-hit wonder? He is not AHA. He is not the Buggles. He's not any of those kind of bands, these one-hit wonders. He's not Rebecca Black with Friday. He is, without a doubt, not a one-hit wonder. This was just a, a step back for LSU. Maybe it is a rebuilding year. But here's the thing. He will get back to that mountaintop before before long, Jack. And you have somebody like Miles Brennan. I think Miles Brennan looked decent in his performance. If he's able to have that game slow down for him like we saw Joe Burrow, then we're talking about a man that could really bring himself up into the stratosphere and pull that gold star down and really get this team back to the level we expect them to see. Maybe it's just the fact that maybe we were spoiled with Joe Burrow, and we were spoiled with all that great defensive play. Because I think that was the big thing. The defense was the biggest complaint I had, but everybody wants to talk about the quarterback. Everybody wants to complain about the fact that Miles Brennan wasn't Joe Burrow. We kept telling you all offseason long, for the better part of nine months, that Joe Burrow was gone. Miles Brennan can't be Joe Burrow. Miles Brennan can just be the first and only Miles Brennan. It's not a conversation about whether or not he, this person can be the next Joe Burrow is whether or not he can be the first Miles Brennan and the best Miles Brennan he can be. And hopefully the best Miles Brennan is soon to come and he can lose those happy feet and he can start getting better. That's where I want to be. But if we continue to complain about quarterback play, well, we should be complaining about the defense allowing 623 bleeping yards to KJ Costello. What kind of jabroni name is that? If seals tonight allows it throws for 300 yards then i start becoming really concerned about this defense and not as much about the offense so reconfigure your thoughts about lsu one weekend not a one-hit wonder but i wouldn't be surprised if he's able to put together a couple more banger years this one notwithstanding because 2020 is a weird time and it's an absolute struggle to really predict how things are going to go for the Tigers. That's about all I got here on this Saturday afternoon. Hopefully you enjoyed the show. Be back with you next week. And we'll be on for a full two hours again. And then I think the next week, two weeks from now, we've got a 90-minute show because, well, LSU Florida's going to start at 2.30, 12.30 pregame show. 4.30 pregame today, 6.30 kickoff tonight. And you'll hear that right here on 1037 The Game. The Sunday triple header, question mark? Because I know Sports USA 
is supposed was supposed to have actually they're supposed to have both of these games. Ironically, is the Tennessee Titans game, but that's been bumped for the Bucks Chargers game, and Patriots Chiefs still on the docket. But obviously, that's going to change. So as of right now, still a triple header on tap. We just don't know what the second game is, but the third game is going to be that Philly San Fran contest. And again, you'll hear that right here on Acadiana Sports Station. 1037 the game. I can't do that voice. But have a great rest of your weekend. Talk to you on a Monday with Ben Love, Jordy Holtberg, and who knows what else we got on tap for you. Manana. Peace. Hey, Clavis, wake up. The show's on. Oh, yeah. Kick it.